Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. My guest today is an experienced program management leader at Southwest Airlines, serving in the technical operations organization. He provides strategic and tactical leadership for the implementation, utilization, and support of mobile device and app utilization. He develops cross-functional, cross-organizational teams to enable mobility, RFID, and e-enablement solutions within the airline. Please welcome Chris Grubbs. Hey, Chris. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Really excited to have this conversation. And, and today, I actually want to start off talking about something that um, I, I found in your uh, LinkedIn post. I'm not going to put you on the spot here, but you had posted a fantastic article that was in uh, HBR. It was called Good Leadership is About Asking Good Questions. The article was written by uh, John Hagel III. And I read that article. And after I read that article, knowing that I was coming up on this interview with you, I felt a lot of pressure. And I wondered, am I going to be able to ask, you know, good questions that would live up to that expectation today. So I feel a little bit extra pressure. But I, I really want to start off a little bit differently with you and ask, you know, what was it that kind of hit the mark? First of all, do you remember posting, you know, uh, sharing that article? I think that was a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, but I, I do remember that article. And, and, uh, it's very important as leaders that we listen. Yeah. I, and I think that's really the, the point of the article that I took away too, is, is not just about asking the questions, but really being listeners to the folks on the team. And so um, I really enjoyed the fact that you had posted that article and just wanted to start off with that uh, in part to make light of my ability to ask questions and see if I can uh, live up to the great expectations. So let me uh, kind of switch back around to how we normally start off this conversation. And that is really about what's the biggest challenge you see facing the deskless workforce today? Well, as many other organizations today, we're, we're in that digital transformation phase where we're transitioning from really antiquated process and systems to modernization and the pandemic has helped us in some ways and has been a detriment in others in, in that regard. Uh, but we've, we've been working on a, this plan for, for years, literally, and uh, the introduction of our iPad solution for mechanics and inspectors, we provided about three and a half years ago to get started. Uh, that was to, in an effort to get, get our workforce used to using a tablet, having a tablet available uh, with the intent of expanding that use case in the future. So not only do we have manuals available now for, for aircraft uh, and from our partners, but now we also have the ability to perform work duties and associate those and document those and new systems and processes that we're rolling out. So it's it's all transformative. Uh, we started building that infrastructure years ago in anticipation of, of today. Um, and 
as as we've seen the rollout of our new digital platforms, we we are continuing to learn and ask questions. Uh, we we are going through the learning curve, and of course, it's slow uh, adjusting to new process and, and systems. And and part of that is is we are listening to the feedback that we're getting from our from our deskless users, right? The the mechanics and inspectors that are at the airport that are doing the gate calls that are talking to the flight crews that are talking to customers, even in some cases, um, about the aircraft and how how do we enable uh, safe, compliant, effective solutions uh, that are also efficient. And it's it's a it's a big challenge, uh, but we continue to chip away at it. You know, that's one of the great things about Southwest Airlines. I'm going to pl- plug another podcast real quick. Uh, is this is the seat open is a new podcast series that Southwest has has released and there's great stories about Herb Kelleher and about Southwest being an innovation company uh, that happens to to fly planes and you know we often say we're a customer service company that flies aircraft uh, in addition to that we're we're very innovative in how we approach what we do and we get that innovation from our deskless workforce from our people that are out there in, in engaging with customers, engaging with their peers out in the operation. And that's how we improve. It's not from big ideas that we have at headquarters or in, in tech offices. Um, it's by talking to those end users and finding out what it is, what they think would help them be more efficient, uh, to be more more safe, to be more compliant, and, and then just working with them to implement those in smart uh, measured ways. Chris, when you said this initiative started a few years back, do I understand it correctly that you didn't actually replace all of their their legacy uh, materials? So the, the binders, the manuals that you talked about before, it kind of sounds like you had both of them out in the field at the same time. Did, did I understand that correctly? Yes, yeah, somewhat. The manuals, it was a it was an easy transition, really, um, from from using paper manuals to digital. Uh, in addition to the iPads that we have deployed that we use uh, uh, very effectively out at the airport uh, when we do get calls you know, in, in live operation. And then in the hangar, using kiosks. Uh, so, you know, PC-based with larger monitors where schematics can be, can be brought up and looked at. And so the, that transition started, like I said, four or five years ago, and has been really successful uh, to the point now where uh, we're getting asked for, uh, we still get the occasional request for printing capabilities, but more and more, I was like, can I have a bigger screen? And so you know, one of the fun things that we've done this year, and we started last year, was getting new iPads for all the mechanics. So we've gone from the mini 8-inch screen up to a 10.2-inch screen, and giving them that bigger real estate. And for the first time, rolling out a, a keyboard to go with it so that they can actually type in and, and complete their work activities uh, on that one device, giving them full screen uh, to use you know, whatever applications or systems they need to on those devices. Uh, and at the same time, you know, being as efficient as we could. And that feedback came directly from the end users yeah, we like the size of the small one. It fits in my pants pocket, but uh, and so we 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 did a good a, a good bit of analysis and and queried and surveyed our end users to say which form factor would you like better? Do you want a keyboard and a bigger screen, or are you good with the small small screen? 
85% of our workforce. We had about 60% reply to a survey, which is really good. Amazing. Um, and then 85% of the respondents wanted a bigger screen with the keyboard. So, uh, you know, it's by, by asking the question, encouraging response, and then, you know, acting upon that. So it's, it's really the, what, what Southwest is all about. You know, that, that explanation actually, uh, it, it kind of probably speaks to some of the answer of the next uh, question that I want to ask you, which is uh, really that, you know, just to share a little bit from our view, we, we have seen some examples that digital transformation initiatives can be very stressful for the frontline workers. They're often, you know, completely out of the loop right up to the moment that they're required to use the technology. And so the, the first is really a two-part question. The first is, do you see examples of, of that tech innovation causing frustration? And then, you know, if so, what do you think can be done to improve that experience for those workers so that they can be successful, but perhaps a little less frustration? So maybe to the first part, do you, do you see some of these initiatives, at least initially, causing stress and frustration for some of the, the target users? Certainly. Uh, we, we've done a lot of work, though, with developing training materials with the end users to help mitigate some of that. Uh, we still have that challenge. It's, it doesn't go away. I, I, don't, I, I don't know what the secret sauce is to make that just go away, but we, we, still, we, still, we still have that challenge. Um, you know, we, one way we've, we've tried to bridge that gap is engaging uh, frontline supervisor leaders that are in the field, in the operation, and getting them to partner with us on getting feedback from their teams to bring it back to us. And one of the things we just started this past year was actually getting frontline mechanics and inspectors actually doing some pre-testing for us and getting their online feedback. Uh, you know, it's very important that we get it right from them. And then there are also our advocates out to their peers, which is really the, the, the huge benefit is we've we targeted some of our uh, more vocal uh, mechanics and inspectors and said, hey, why don't you join us on this journey? And you know, they are now our advocate and also our inno innovators, right? They are providing us, hey, what about this? What about that? And we, we value that. I mean, without them, uh, you know, it, it, we would struggle. I'm curious, when you, when you refer to those uh, folks that you engage as the more vocal of the group, would you find that they were the more uh, positive vocal folks or were they perhaps maybe some of the more cynical folks or did you not really delineate between those that you you asked to participate no we we tried to take a good span of both uh it's important to have both uh, you you have in in solutions you have to have the contrarian voice if it's yeah. everything is great you're gonna miss more uh, so having the person that tries to poke holes in solutions is is really who you want engaged. And so we, we've really done, uh, and it's a testament to our organization. We have a whole change leadership organization at Southwest with, with analysts and with man project managers. And that's all they do is, is help us. And we have a, a, a process to find around how do we engage the, the end users? How do we get them involved? And we have a template that we really try to follow across the organizations and it's leadership like that that comes directly from Gary Kelly and from Bob Jordan uh, and from Tom Nealon to encourage that change leadership perspective and having senior leaders in that 
that is their job is to help us with that change. And so it's been a huge benefit to have uh, that mindset uh, within within the organization uh, across operations, but especially as we've been transitioning over the last few years. I love the idea that your organization is so del- deliberate in your handling of change management that you actually, you know, kind of have a, a template and, you know, a standard approach for, for how you go about doing that. I, I feel like there's likely some stories. Uh, can you think of any examples? Obviously we can leave proper names out of the conversation, but are, are there any examples that you can think of where, where you engage some folks from the field that became champions of that solution? I, I think that'd be great for us to hear how that might've gone so well. Yeah. In all honesty, I, uh, I don't have that hands-on experience with that, with that change leadership team. Um, you know, I, I've heard some anecdotal responses, um, but um, you know, I think, I think overall is, is just encouraging those, those people to, to use their voice. Right. And, yeah. and to honestly listen back to our listening theme, right. And taking what they're telling us and, and making it actionable. I think that's, that's really what it boils down to. I think that's fantastic. And I, I have seen um, firsthand some examples of, of bringing some folks in, you know, kind of from the field into headquarters to get them to participate on the project teams. And I've seen the results of when those folks now flip over from just being a participant in the project to actually becoming an evangelist. And there's nothing better particularly in this group of frontline workers, I, I think, you know, I've spent enough time in out in the field, you know, kind of seeing behind the scenes of, of how things actually work on these projects to see that there's um, even in the best of cultures, there's often a, a little bit of us versus them, you know, the people in the field versus the people at headquarters that really don't know what they're talking about. And, and so to have one of those people kind of convert to becoming the evangelist and then go back out into the field and say, no, I told those people at headquarters what we really needed, right? That's fantastic. And, and frankly, I mean, you made the point at the top of the conversation that we get really good feedback when we engage those folks. So even if they didn't become evangelists, we're still getting good intel from the field about what those men and women really need uh, for them to be successful. But perhaps the better part of that is that they also become evangelists that can speak uh, probably more effectively to the change management than anything that we could say from a headquarters standpoint, right? So it has, um, you know, there are just so many facets to the value that that can bring to, uh, you know, a successful change management. So that's awesome. So let's shift gears a little bit. Um, we haven't really talked about what what your role is. So I, I did a quick introduction and, and kind of glossed over some of the details, but but tell us a little bit more about uh, what your role is and uh, what you're up to these days. Well, as, as a program manager within the technical operations, which is our maintenance department, uh, you know, the, oftentimes people say, well, what is tech ops? And it gets confused with technology operations, right? Um, yeah. Tech ops in the airline industry now is what we refer to as maintenance operations. And so it's it's pretty normal within the industry that, that tech ops is, is maintenance operations. Um, you know, maintenance operations is all about mechanics, the people that turn the wrenches that that are working on the aircraft. You know, the, these are, are men and women that have, uh, so I've been at Southwest eight years and I'm a baby in the company. I mean, I work with our mechanics that have been there 30 years, 32 years, 28 years. I mean, if you're not a 20 year, you know, have, have seniority, have been there 20 years, 
you know, you, you you're haven't still seen, a, you're still a new hire. Yes. I mean, <laughs> you haven't seen anything. So my perspective as a newbie, uh, just eight years in, um, is I have a lot to learn from, from these people that have seen this airline change dramatically over the last 20, 30, 40, and 50 years. I mean, starting with three aircraft doing regional service just in Texas to serving 100 and what are we up to, 103 different locations across the U.S. and the Caribbean um, and into Central America, uh, serving Hawaii, which was something that people were started asking her back in the 90s, when are we going to Hawaii, and finally being a part uh, of the organization when we're actually delivering on that that dream um, is is tremendous, and so, you know, it's it's an honor. It's a privilege to work there. I feel like uh, I'm in the shadow of le- of legends, and just being present and just being in the room is is a gift, um, honestly. Um, but my work, it, as you read off at the beginning, uh, working on mobility uh, within maintenance. Um, how how do we how do we provide tools that are effective, efficient, compliant, safe? provide timeliness uh, back to our, our mechanics and inspectors that are out there in the field doing the operation and what do they need to, to be more efficient. And so my job is really to, to do the whole, uh, we, we call it cradle to grave of, of solutions and products that we provide to, to those individuals that, that run our operation. You know, from working with our strategy teams, our innovation teams, developing business cases, um, developing projects, doing production support on projects, delivering new projects that are all focused on making our end users' life, uh, work life better and, and being safe um, and compliant. So that's really our focus in that. And <clears throat> so mobility takes the shape of iPads today and then different apps that we have on there and the connectivity that's available on those devices. Um, you know, we, we rely on, on VPN on, on all of our services. We have multiple cellular providers that we have partnered with across the country and throughout um, you know, the Caribbean and Central America to provide connectivity on our devices wherever we are so that we're connected. Um, very, very important. And so, you know, without our partners and the carriers, without our partners across technology, uh, within the other operational departments, I mean, it's it's a it's all about what we can do together, and so with RFID, my focus has really just been on how do we leverage RFID technology within technical operations, um, and you especially see this in our emergency equipment that's on our aircraft. You know, we we are responsible for making sure that all of our equipment um, is not expired and is compliant. Uh, with rules and regulations set forward, uh, but also what the FAA has set as standards. And so, you know, we, we have built um, with partners, you know, have the capability to utilize some RFID uh, tagging on products and, and be able to do inventory on an aircraft in a, in a very efficient manner. Um, and then how, how do we grow that use case into other components? You know, so the, the other use case for RFID is our warehouses. So you can imagine when we operate 700 plus aircraft, we have to have parts for said 700 aircraft at our different locations. So 
you know, our warehouse operations within technical operations is uh, quite overwhelming, honestly. Um, and, and trying to, to leverage, you know, new technologies within the warehouse management space is an ongoing uh, goal of ours, you know, is, is, to, is to transform that environment into um, a more efficient, safe, um, and compliant environment. So lots of opportunities with RFID in that space. Um, and then the other component is enablement. And this is one that is really fun uh, to me because it's really about enabling the biggest IoT um, project or object uh, that Southwest has, which is an aircraft. And so, you know, we, we think about um, how we can connect our crew in the aircraft and give them the most up-to-date information that, that we have available to us. And, and we're doing that through enablement. And it, this is a, is a strategic journey that we have, which requires partnership on delivering aircraft with uh, key components, uh, both hardware and software. And then, you know, how, how do we leverage that technology on some of our older aircraft uh, and, and how do, what is our strategy there? So that is definitely a more of a long-term effort, um, but we, we do want to provide uh, an environment to our flight crews, uh, both the in-flight uh, representatives there in the cabin area and also in the flight deck to our pilots, uh, captains, and first officers to give them um, a different perspective on the information than what they're also getting through the avionics uh, in the in the dash, if you will. Yeah. You know, Chris, I have to say, um, to, to think about all the things that you're involved with, it, it just, it, so you, you know that I've, I've spent some time doing some work around the airline business, and I just, it never ceases to amaze me how complex your business really is. And I know I'm also a member of the traveling public, and I am certain, even though I know a lot about what happens behind the scenes, we still take for granted all that's happening behind the scenes to keep those planes in the air and to keep things running on time and to make sure that our bags are getting to the right place at the right time and all of that kind of stuff. And, and when you just highlighted your role, you, you really talked about just some of the complexities. I mean, something as simple sounding as putting an iPad in the hands, you know, uh, of a mechanic, uh, it's not that simple and tracking, you know, parts for a fleet of, of aircraft is just not that simple. Right. So you guys have so many facets of the organization. And, and then when you mentioned connectivity, that is something that I, you know, experienced firsthand. So most other industries that have uh, maybe similar numbers of moving parts as you do are working in facilities that are largely theirs. So they can control the networking, right? They can put in their own wireless infrastructure in their own buildings and they can decide where they want the access points. And I know one of the complexities that happens in, in the airline business is that, you know, you're largely working in buildings that you don't own. You don't have the luxury of just putting an access point wherever you want. You're often dependent on carrier networks. And, uh, you know, no matter what the maps tell us, uh, those carrier networks are not as ubiquitous everywhere that you need them to be, right? And so uh, j just, I, I know it was just for you, it was just describing your role, but there's so much complexity in there to make these uh, solutions work and work well. And at the same time, you know, a big focus of our conversation here is around the end user experience. So 
you know, dealing with all the technical aspects of what you just talked about and the solution design and making sure that all the ones and zeros are going to the right places, but, but also doing so in a way that can give the user an experience where they can feel safe and be successful and, um, you know, be productive in their work is, uh, you know, much easier said than done. So it was just an amazing introduction there. <laughs> Thanks. You know, Herb Kelleher always said that the airline business is the biggest, uh, greatest team sport. And it really is. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, coming from a telecom background, I always enjoyed the intricacies of telecom, but uh, that is one small facet of the operation that we have at an airline. And I mean, it's, it's overwhelming at times, but it's, it's empowering, right? Is there's, there's no limit to the opportunities to improve. Um, Even if you have the best airline in the world, uh, there's always you know, multiple opportunities to enhance customer service, to provide more capabilities to to our our operational folks on the ground uh, as they service those customers, right? So, it's a it's 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 awesome. It really is. It's it's awesome because it's it's huge, but it's you know, that's what makes it so 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 fun. Yeah. and it creates passion. It does. I can hear it in your voice. And it, it actually is a great segue into the next thing I wanted to ask you about, which is really about how you prioritize, because you just said there's an endless list of opportunities for improvement of safety and efficiency. Uh, you mentioned something earlier, which I think is is really important. It's, it, you didn't use these words, but you were essentially speaking to the quality of life for your teammates that you know are in these various roles. And um, so there's, there are a lot of different variables to consider there. And when you look out at the, the airline business and say, well, there's like virtually an unlimited number of places that we could go to apply innovation, where are the innovation requests coming from in your organization? And how do you even begin to prioritize those to say, well, we can't do all 100 things right now. How do we pick off the top two or three that make the most sense? Yeah, so another one of Herb, Herb's uh, uh, famous quotes is, you know, what is our priority day? Is it one, two, or three? He said, yes, right? Um, within the airline business, you you hit the nail on the head. You know, I, I struggled early in my career to work with my leadership on what is my number one priority. Uh, when I came to Southwest eight years ago, I struggled with that. And it wasn't, we didn't set a priority on what we were going to accomplish that day. Uh, or I mean that year or in six months or quarterly, right? Uh, we had these are our top priorities, but then on a daily basis, we would manage, you know, what is our priority today? Um, at the same time, keeping keeping a focus on our roadmap in and all the things that we're trying to do so that you don't leave anything too far behind. Uh, it's you know, uh, one of the analogies I like to use is all the plates keep spinning, right? Uh, the, the object is not to have one plate spinning 100 miles an hour, it's to have 20 plates spinning, just spinning, right? Um, and so if, if I can keep my plates spinning and moving forward, right, then, then that's a successful day, week, month, quarter. And so, you know, that's, that's the only way to look at it. And we truly get our innovation from the front line. And we work with them on, on helping us prioritize this, right? And a good, uh, you know, I have to give a shout out to our my innovation teammates. We and the company and the leadership that we have values innovation so much 
that we have a corporate innovation team, uh, small but mighty. I mean, that's 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 the Southwest way. We have small teams, but we have a lot of teams, but you have to have them. And so we have a small corporate innovation team. We also have a technology innovation team. And then within tech, tech ops, within maintenance operations, we have a, a small uh, innovation team. And it really takes all these teams working together on these priorities and then, you know, working through what what this what this innovation looks like. Um, a good example of this is is we we did some time studies and some work out in the field just last week, uh, based on some feedback we were getting from our mechanics uh, out at the airport, and they're like, hey, all of, all of our capabilities that you guys have given us this year are great, but you know what about this? And so we're looking at that. What about uh, what about this? Right and. Uh, kudos to my partners in the innovation teams. They were all boots on the ground last week, um, observing, taking feedback. You know, it's like it's like doing a focus group where you bring customers in and do a focus group. Well, you know, kudos to our innovation team because they go out to where our customers are and observe the work environment and and document it and make suggestions and, and take that feedback. And, you know, that's, again, it's just, it's just one of the great things about Southwest Airlines that I don't think you get in a lot of other places. Well, I think that's something that I hope everybody can uh, pay real close attention to. You said something that's important, and I think it's indicative of the culture at Southwest, which is that your folks felt comfortable uh, coming back to the innovation team and asking for some things that would uh, improve you know, the, the results or their experiences with that technology. And I think that says a lot. There's we've noticed that there's a lot of fear and anxiety, and I've touched on this a couple of times already just in this conversation from frontline workers who fear that their ability to use the technology uh, reflects on their competency, you know, or the evaluation of their competency for their job. And it's something that's troubling to me because I hear this a lot from end users and we see the behaviors from end users. And it, it worries me a little bit about the cultures in some of these organizations where employees fear being candid about their use of this technology. And so I, I the, my takeaway from what you just said is um, it, it sounds like the Southwest culture is, is mitigating that right out of the gate by um, make, allowing them to feel comfortable and to come to the innovation team and to come to, to you, other members of headquarters, and you know feel comfortable sharing what they're looking for and, and how the solution would be better without fearing any repercussions for that. And it, it sounds so simple and it actually is pretty simple but it seems to be something that's missing from the cultures of some of the other organizations we've seen. Yeah, it's it's something I don't always value, to be honest with you. And, and having these kind of conversations with people uh, in other companies and other industries, it, it reminds me of, of, of the opportunities and how we really are uh, employee focused um, and providing that, um, you know, that, that work environment for, for our, our frontline workers, you know, to, to be able to, to innovate and give us the feedback that they need. But I, you know, I think a lot of that goes back to what Herb and Colleen set up at the very beginning of the, of the company. And, you know, some, sometimes we, um, we may get frustrated with, with how we operate, but Herb, you know, was in his wisdom was like invited the unions to come in and to be a part of Southwest Airlines. And it's something you do not see at other companies because it, it makes it more difficult, honestly, right? And 
But there is a level of negotiation that you have that does give your in-operational workers uh, some comfort in knowing that they, you know, they they have a union that's helping them, you know, with their uh, feedback to the company. And so, again, I don't think we would have the engagement that we have. And I think at a lot of companies, you, you see, you know, people are worried that it'll look bad on me if I, you know, give feedback and you know, again, kudos to Herb and his wisdom for seeing that a union can really help facilitate and get past that barrier. It's it's a it's a value it's a it's a value that you you don't look at when you talk about unions a lot, but it is a a key component to our environment, and I do think that it helps provide that safety net so people do feel safe in sharing you know, what their real experience is, um, without fear of repercussion. So yeah, no, that's fantastic. And, and actually, you know, talking about the unions, I think is actually a really important element of why I believe supporting frontline workers with technology is such a vastly different conversation than a lot of the things that uh, we think about with corporate workers, right? So training on how to use Oracle, getting people to engage with SAP and maybe your reservation systems and other things like that, right, in, in the airline business. Um, sure, those things have some of the same technical complexities of them, but uh, because they're not represented workforces in most cases, uh, it, it's just, uh, it, it has a fewer layers of complexity, perhaps, than what we typically see with frontline workers. And so, I do think, you know, your example, I've seen projects that have been really impacted by the perception of the union and what they wanted the men and women in, in their union to uh, participate with from a tech standpoint. And that actually really uh, challenged, you know, the, the end user adoption of these uh, technologies. And so anything that can be done to improve the culture right out of the gate is, is only going to make that, you know, more effective down the road. And it just speaks volumes to how Southwest has handled a lot of that. So I'm curious to hear, you know, we've talked a bunch about some of the different uh, technologies. You talked about RFID, you talked about mobility, you talked about the uh, e-enablement with the aircraft. How do you learn about new technologies, emerging technologies? I suspect, you know, um, you have other members on your team who are also scanning the market in some way for, for some of those technologies. I'd be curious to hear how you're learning and how that has changed since COVID, where, you know, we can't all go to the same trade shows and things like that that we used to participate with. Yeah, I mean, trade trade shows are fun uh, to visit with people and kind of see see some new stuff. Um, I learned after going to the junkets a few times that uh, there's a few that provide value, and then there's several that are just an opportunity to meet and greet, right? So, um, or sales opportunities. Uh, so, you know, honestly, part of part of our challenge is is really trying to learn where we can best. Uh, you know, find out about these technologies, and uh, it's it's a diverse network, right? I, I rely heavily on my innovation team. They stay plugged in more to uh, to what's going on in the industry um, and specific uh, inno innovations. Uh, and then, and then, same plugged in. Um, you know, one thing about working on Apple products. And with Android products, is you got to stay plugged in and be up on on the releases of the software and the hardware, and so, you know, that's, you know, I, I came up uh, in my career as a software development so in in the software uh, business uh, for for telecom, but 
you know, my heart is still around software. So finding out about, about all the different software uh, is, is just, you know, kind of like a hobby to me. So um, whenever Apple has a, has a uh, keynote or, you know, WWDC, uh, I'm there uh, the next, you know, at night, the next day, whatever I'm, I'm reading, I'm watching the videos. Um, same with Google IO, right. Seeing what they're doing um, on the Android platforms, uh, seeing, you know, watching the Samsung releases, the videos of the new uh, Samsung equipment. Um, it's, it's all part of the fun. And so that's more of a hobby to me than anything else. Um, learning about from an airline perspective, there, there are some valuable publications that come out. I have to give a shout out to one of our captains, Will Ware. Um, he is the main driver behind our um, electronic flight bag uh, at Southwest Airlines and really throughout the industry. Uh, he chairs a cross-organization, uh, a co-chairs a cross-organization EFB forum, um, electronic flight bag forum, uh, that pulls together all the airlines from all over the world in, a, in an environment to discuss and what what capabilities are on the horizon for the uh, electronic flight bag, and you know whether it's it's mounted in an aircraft or you know or on an iPad or another tablet, right? The opportunities there are are immense, right? Uh, we've, we've talked about the opportunities for innovation, and so you know having leaders like Will Ware in the company where I can just email him and say, hey, Will, what's going on in the avionics? Or, you know, within my own organization, we have engineers and our supply chain uh, stays really up to date on what's happening. Uh, we, you know, we rely on third party vendors also um, that are, are scour the industries and provide, you know, reviews and updates and tell us what, what vendors are in this space. And so, you know, we, we partner with them also and, and leverage those, uh, those assets. So, you know, it's, it's just, I really find that it's a matter of uh, of connecting and building the network and then leveraging that. Um, I have to say over the last year uh, with COVID, I really got into podcasts. So it, it's fun to be uh, interviewing and, and, and participate on podcasts, but just listening to the different perspectives that people bring uh, in different areas, uh, different topics and long form discussion, right? I think, it's a format that is, that's what's so powerful about the podcast is we can have a one hour conversation versus um, a 10 minute, you know, pointed conversation about a specific technology. Uh, we can just, you know, cuss and discuss, if you will. So, you know, it's, it's part of the fun, um, but it's, it's got to be part of just your hobby of, of, you know, looking at what's, what's out there. Um, yeah, I had a boss once, uh, we were working on some new technology and I was like, Hey, I don't have time to read this new tech manual. He's like, well, I guess you got weekend reading to do then. Uh, and I didn't think it was funny at the time, but, um, you know, I, I have, uh, developed, uh, a, uh, I don't think I won't say a love, I, I, I've desired, a um, a discipline, uh, to stay up with the technology, uh, you know, in, in non- work hours right it's just it's just it becomes a hobby now people ask me what's your hobbies you know besides my kids playing sports uh, my hobby is keeping up with the tech tech industry right so 
I'm a nerd. What, I, what I, can I say? I, I think, I mean, Chris, I think there's something to be said for the fact that for those of us that are in the tech space, it, this is not something that you can do just as a job, right? I, I mean, if you, if you don't have a genuine interest in learning about these things, perhaps even if just for your personal, you know, um, electronic, <laughs> you know, desires as well. Um, it's, it's really hard to keep up from a work standpoint. I mean, just recently, my wife uh, just broke her uh, Apple watch. And so uh, we're now in the market to replace her Apple watch. And I mean, it's, it's just so simple, except right up until the point where you get onto the Apple website and you realize there's now 8,000 variations <laughs> of the Apple watch. Right. And, and the other thing that, you know, I, I think it, it has such an impact on, on me when I think about work and I think about the, the personal challenge of saying, okay, well, which, which one of these do we want to get for my wife, right? We're talking about a several hundred dollar purchase. I know it's not going to last forever. Do we want to buy the latest and greatest technology so that it lasts the longest? Or do we want to buy the second or third generation back because it's a little bit less expensive? And so, you know, you can uh, be a little bit more, you know, budget conscious on that. When you think about having to make that same decision for an enterprise like you guys are involved with, I mean, just the, the complexity is is exponentially greater. And um, so I, I know that that's some of the things that you've had to deal with in the past in terms of, you know, selecting which iPad and which iPad accessories and how you're going to charge them and all of those things that go with that. But those are you know, they're complicated enough for us to just decide in our personal lives. But when you're talking about 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 devices that have to last in an enterprise environment for, you know, two to three years, um, there, there's a lot to that. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's part of the fun. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think I was going to ask you what, what advice you'd give to, to others who are trying to stay up on this. I, I think you just gave part of that, but I'm curious if there's anything else. So the, the first takeaway that I'd have is that this can't be just something that you come in and, and carve out an hour on Monday morning to, to read up on, on the latest tech journals. Um, it's, it's going to take a, a greater commitment than that, and you're probably going to need to have some genuine interest in this stuff. Uh, that it doesn't feel so much like work when you're reading about these things after hours and stuff like that. Is there anything else that I missed from from that perspective there that you'd uh, give as advice to others? I think you know, be curious. Right? I think I think we and, and be a learner. There, you know, there there is not a time when when I stop learning something. You know, and a lot of the things I post on LinkedIn are more reminders and coaching myself. Um, than it is, you know, trying to tell somebody else how to do what they need to do. Um, it's it's reminders for me uh, because, you know, leadership is difficult. Um, it's it's a huge challenge. Um, being consistent, right, and then and then doing your your day to day job um, and delivering, you know, to your customers has, has always got to be the, the uh, number one up there. Um, and being technically proficient. I mean, you we got to stay stay engaged. So, you know, I, I long ago gave up my nine to five job. Um, you know, when I, when I realized, you know, in technology, there is no such thing as a nine to five job. And, you know, we all hated being on the rotation for production support and carrying the pager around, uh, for uh, a week, uh, and over the weekend, you know, and being tethered to a, a computer. So I could never be too far away from a computer, you know, and, uh, I think, you know, that, that really just set a mindset within me, although I might not be tied to a computer and have to carry it with me everywhere I go, just in case, um, you know, but there, there's still downtimes. I mean, you know, I, I haven't been a great example for my kids when I'm, I'm on my phone, when we're, you know, at a dinner 
but I see an interesting article pop up on LinkedIn and here I am reading, reading an article and I'm like, dad, quit playing on your phone. I'm like, well, I'm working. Well, quit working. Right. Um, so it's, 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 uh, you, I do it that dynamic has changed a little bit now that my kids are teenagers and I have to purposefully put it down uh, and, and walk away for a period of time. Uh, but then when everybody goes to bed, I have plenty of time. So. <laughs> no, I, I actually, you know, in terms of our habits um, I, I think that's, you raise a really interesting point. I, technology. I, I've been involved in mobile technology for most of my career. I know that you have as well. And there are a lot of people that view mobile as being a tether to, um, you know, almost cause some restraint. And, and I've always looked at it completely from the opposite view that mobile technology actually gives us the freedom to, you know, place shift, time shift, a lot of the things that we otherwise have to do. Uh, we have uh, immensely more flexibility now than, you know, workers did 20 or 30 years ago. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's, you know, an amazing opportunity for us to leverage mobile. I think it also, you know, just thinking about the frontline workers, they definitely don't have quite the same flexibility that you and I might in the nature of our jobs. Um, but I also think that that's something important that we need to remind them when we're, um, you know, exploring change management and the messaging around the technology is that we're not trying to use the technology to eliminate your job. We're trying to, you know, use the technology to make your job better. Uh, to make uh, allow you to be more successful, uh, to improve the quality of your life so that you can focus on things that can allow you to be safer and, and yes, more efficient. You know, the company is always looking for more efficiency from all of us. Um, but to look at the technology as an enabling tool rather than as a restraining tool. And, and that's tough. It, you know, that's tough. But it, it, it also speaks to how, you know, you've talked a lot today about the culture. You can say that message all day long, but if it's not backed up by a culture that supports that and that represents that, uh, then, you know, that message probably won't be very well received. Yeah, it's all in what we do, right? Uh, we can we can say things till we're blue in the face, but uh, people will measure us and our character and, and our intent by what we do. So it's very important, um, you know, and it's it's a, it's an ongoing challenge, right? But yeah. we, we have to do it. And, you know, being a part of a team that that values the innovation and, and sending people boots on the ground out there working in the field and observing and talking and listening uh, is just invaluable. So, you know, that's, that's where it really comes back to is, is being out there observing, taking that feedback and, and soliciting the innovative, innovative ideas from, from those workers that are doing the job. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it does help that, you know, they know they're not in danger of losing their job because they do have that, that union backing. Um, yeah. And so, again, I think that gives us a unique opportunity. Um, but as a, a project or program manager, my whole job is to uh, put myself out of a job in that I want to complete this project so that I don't ever have to come back to it, right? Right. Or just provide a little care and feeding, you know, production support as, as needed. And so, you know, that's, you know, I had a had a mentor back in the software days is like, hey, you know, we're building the software to put ourselves out of our job. And so, you know, that mindset is very, very important. And, and it's key to, to deliver all to, to delivering a product um, that doesn't just serve an immediate need, but but serves a need that doesn't require 24 seven support, right. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's really hard. Uh, but it's it's so it, it's so empowering once once you're able to to do that 
and you know that you can do it and see examples of, of other organizations that have done it. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a huge Apple fanboy and how they do their software updates. And, you know, what we used to take systems offline for six hours at a time to do an update, I, I now do on my phone and it takes, I complain if it takes more than four minutes, right? Um, and, and it could be a total, total new operating system update. Um, it's just amazing how, how far we've come in technology. And, you know, that just tells me, you know, there's, there's no end, end point for that. It's just going to continue to improve and we have tons of opportunity. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right that our experiences in the consumer realm with our, all the technology that we have around us have, have really influenced our expectations about how things should happen at work too, right? So all of our users are experiencing the same thing, whether it's Apple or, or an Android device, um, they are experiencing those things as consumers. And so when we bring clunky technology to them, that's not easy to use, um, that is frustrating for them. And so I think the, the expectations for all of us have changed dramatically over the last 10 or 15 years, in large part, thanks to Apple and, and others that have been innovative in that space. And so we have an obligation to keep up with that expectation, right? Because we, we want to get the, the users to, to use the technology and to be successful with it. But we have to make sure that we're delivering things that are on par with their consumer experiences. So yeah, and, and we have to provide that value, right? It's got to be simple and it's got to provide them something that that they they find value in. And so it's it's very key. Again, it goes back to that being being out there and listening to them and then delivering on what they're saying. Um, yeah. you know, it's it's a testament to how how the software industry has has changed and from a waterfall, give me your requirements and 6 months later I'll give you something that might meet the engineering spec that you that we interpreted you wanted um you know but i remember in those days we would deliver a product and it would not get used because you know the perspective changed or we just did not capture or interpret what we were hearing the correct way so being able to iterate and and tweak and change and implement and tweak and implement um is is a concept that is just um, invaluable in, in our in our business and really in in our opportunities that we have. Right? Is okay. We may not have hit the mark a hundred percent on this release, but we're listening to you. And this change is coming in the next release. And but then you have to deliver on that. That's the other thing that I've seen examples of is is we say we're working on it, but then never deliver it. We we have to deliver deliver and you know, that has to be our, our goal is we hear you, here's what we're doing and then deliver on it. Right. Is, is the key component to that. And like, um, like any other relationship between teams, between people, when we say something, we've got to follow through you've got to do the it. Relationship starts to deteriorate. Yes. Right? Yeah. They, they won't trust you. And, and then when you really need their support to, to deal with some of that change, you won't have the same, uh, you know, relationship equity that you once did. Yes, sir. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. What, what excites you about the future in terms of where you're headed? Anything you see out on the horizon that's got you uh, really charged up? I, I mean, just our opportunities with with um, with the technology that we have and the aircraft uh, is is continuing to evolve. Um, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the development cycle for hardware on an aircraft is is long, 
Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny. I like to give people the example, you know, 3G networks from our cell carriers are all being retired or have been retired. Um, but yet there's still uh, key functionalities throughout our industry that require, uh, that have only been updated with 3G. Um, and actually that product came out after LTE 4G was available, but because of the development cycles, right, it's hard to include the latest technology into, into that development. And so it's just, what I'm really excited about is, is partnering on how we can leverage new technology on aircraft versus waiting for that technology to already be obsolete before we get it. Um, it's not a easy challenge um, and it requires a lot of uh, a lot of partnership. Um, you know all, all the aircraft manufacturers out there really struggle uh, with with that mm -hmm. component and providing yeah. the latest technology in uh, in their in their newest aircraft um, is it's just always going to be a challenge uh, with with everything that we have to do to get an aircraft airworthy. So it, it sounds it's it's frustrating to hear it on the outside, but when you start to peel that back, you know, you think about the number of regulatory agencies to do with FCC regulation on top of that, right? So you've got two major government entities just here in the U.S. and and we're just one of the many countries that they operate in. I mean, it, it's it almost seems like it's it's hard to imagine that they can ever get anything out the door with all of the constraints that that they have to work within. Mm -hmm. Yep, I, you know we we uh, we partner or we we get to um, see the fruits from the work that the military does in a lot of a lot of instances, right? So they are they they don't have as much regulatory um, concern, I guess is the right way, right, right to say it. Um, and so they're able to bring technology to market a little bit faster on military aircraft. So. You know, just just being able to use that as a test bed opportunity, and you know, we, again, going back to to Captain Will Ware and, and the EFB is partnering with uh, pilots uh, from the Air Force, from the Navy, um, from the Army. It provides us a great opportunity. They can actually try out new technology in the cockpit that uh, is not really an option, you know, for an airline, uh, and so being able to have lessons learned and, and, you know, safety documentation and white papers and research uh, that is done, you know, only helps us in, in that regard. So it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun to be in that environment. Well, it's interesting when you talk about what uh, Will is involved with, with the EFB, uh, the global EFB forum. That's an interesting example with the delicate balance with the airlines in that you know you are largely fierce competitors with most of the other companies that might be sitting in that same forum, yet there are still opportunities to collaborate for the, the, the betterment of the entire industry overall and to probably streamline uh, some of the regulatory compliance issues and things like that. So that's a, I've heard about that several times, not just with the EFB, but with other, uh, with flight attendant solutions and things like that. And I'm sure it's done in, in maintenance, you know, tech ops and stuff like that as well, which is just, to, uh, you know, you're still going to keep the uniqueness about your different, uh, you know, organizations, but to find some ways to be able to collaborate so that it can be a little bit easier to innovate for each of the, you know, member companies. That's pretty fascinating. Yeah, again, Herb really set the uh, the leadership on that, right, is, you know, he, he had some really good relationships with American CEOs right across town. Um, 
you know, fiercely competitive, but at the same time, we can be friendly and, and cooperate, you know, and, and the, the formation of, of lobby organizations uh, that work together, uh, you know, for the airline industry uh, through the government agencies is, is a key component to, to our continued success. So um, it is a balance, right? And, um, but at the same time, there's a lot of opportunity for us to take back to the Airbuses of the world. You know, this is what the industry as a whole is looking for. Um, please help us innovate in this space, right? Is all we're asking for. Yeah. 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 Makes a lot of sense. So tell us a little bit about how you came into this role. Uh, tell us about your background that led you here. I mean, it goes all the way back to uh, Abilene Christian University. I believe you're a Texas native. Is that true? Well, not really. I mean, okay. growing up, we lived all over the country. I went to okay. 13 different schools through my career. So I had the opportunity to be able to learn and to adjust quickly. Um, and okay. so it, it, it's a valuable lesson uh, in today's world where change is constant. And so uh, that was kind of how I was raised. And so, uh, I, I mean, kudos to my parents. I mean, I don't know that they did it purposefully, but, um, you know, I think we moved a lot of times out of necessity, but it was, it, it was valuable lessons. Uh, the, m some of my peers that I work with are Army or Air Force children that have the same experience. I think it really helps us to be, um, to be flexible. I mean, we learn early on, right? You got to make relationships quick and you got to meet the right people. Um, and, you know, it, so it's it, there are definitely skills that I learned through that. But um, yeah, after graduating Abilene Christian, uh, I was looking for a job in business. Um, believe it or not, my degree was in history, but um, I took some business classes as uh, when I was a senior, just as a um, opportunity for some electives and I, I really wished I had gone back and changed my major but I was not into staying another year or two uh, in school and collecting more debt so um, I graduated got out and had the great opportunity to work at Sprint uh, in the call center so my first job out of out of college was working in a call center talking to people about their long distance bill um, and then I had an opportunity where the, the IT team was working on some new software for the call center and they were needing some testers. So I volunteered to be on the testing team and uh, that, that transition to uh, me helping kind of lead the, the feedback process for the, the testing team and then transitioning over to the IT team and actually working on that product uh, from a, from a testing IT testing perspective, which was new at the time, like this was in the mid nineties Right, so uh, we were just getting our first PCs out to the call center for, uh, and Mr. Watson kept popping up. Um, and so, because uh, we just didn't have enough memory to run the software. But uh, you know, we, we worked through all that and I just had opportunities to grow with it at, at Sprint. I had great leaders that, you know, just gave me opportunities to do different things, to do, um, you know, requirements gathering and documentation and learning that process, actually doing software development for a while, learning uh, small talk, uh, believe it or not. And so, you know, that user interface and, and OO design philosophy was, was, you know, key to my, my education on the job. And then, you know, then transitioning into a project management type role and working on, on different projects across the business 
Uh, and then I had a great opportunity in the in the early 2000s to move uh, over to one of our business units at Sprint and work in our product development organization on what software we were developing for our products to support the products um, for sales, for customer service, uh, and for billing. And to to take a look at, you know, how, how do we transform our, our systems that we support these products with? And then how do we streamline our product set to fit our systems, uh, which was a different kind of philosophy. Uh, we were always product driven. So uh, transitioning a little bit and to try to balance that a little bit more with system and product. Um, and so then uh, I took some opportunities to, to try to do some consulting work and then finally ended up at Southwest about eight years ago. Uh, amazingly enough, implementing a new call center platform. So uh, it, it came full circle for me back to my call center roots. Um, at Southwest, and I'm grateful for that opportunity. And then, again, having great leadership within Southwest and and opportunities within the company to move uh, within or the technology organization to different areas to get involved with enterprise mobility. Uh, and then uh, an opportunity came up in TechOps, which was one of my customers uh, in the enterprise mobility team, and to to kind of to uh, be more of a opportunity to lead from a business perspective, uh, the mo mobility for mechanics and inspectors and, and the work that we do there. So yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's where, how I got here. That's an amazing background. And you mentioned a couple of things that if we have any listeners that are uh, younger than perhaps 30 years old, you mentioned two things that stand out to me that we may have to provide a glossary for them. The first is that we mentioned pagers earlier in the conversation. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> there'll be a lot of people that have no idea what that really is, or maybe they've heard about them as some relic from their, their parents' generation. The other thing is you mentioned uh, long distance. And, and that's something that occurred to me recently that uh, we just don't really charge for long distance anymore in the same way that we used to. It's kind of just gone away. And, uh, you know, that, that actually was such a big part of our lives from a, a telecom standpoint, you know, a couple of decades ago. And now to, to people, you know, to my son, who's uh, just about to turn 19, like he'll, he'll never understand being uh, cautious about ringing up a long distance charge. So it's, it's interesting to hear your background. And uh, I really appreciate you sharing that. What would I, one thing I, we, we do have to wrap up here. I knew this was going to happen. We we're coming up close. Uh, in fact, I think we're over time a little bit here, but it's been such a great chat. I've, I've wanted to keep it going. Uh, I really do want to encourage people to connect with you on LinkedIn. And it's uh, not just for the normal networking, but uh, I've noticed this throughout our conversation today. And it, uh, you know, reflects a lot what I've seen in your posting on LinkedIn, which is uh, you, you have a very um, uh, great appreciation for leadership, both in your leadership to others that you work around, and also the leadership that, um, you know, is guiding your way a little bit too. And uh, so I, I really appreciate that about you on a personal level. I appreciate you sharing those things with us today. But I'd also say that, uh, you know, to anybody that's followed any of your uh, LinkedIn posts, you often post about leadership topics. And so I think people should connect with you uh, just to follow some of those things that you post, uh, you know, for no other reason. And uh, so I really appreciate you being a, a part of the, uh, the conversation today. Thank you, Justin. Appreciate it. Yeah. So we're going to have to wrap it up there. I've really, really enjoyed the discussion today. Um, I hope that you found the conversation as enjoyable as I have. And if so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. 
This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Chris. Thank <laughs> you.